Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. everyone. Happy Thanksgiving week. Great to have you with us for this shortened week on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy Carriker. Michelle Smallman has completed another half marathon and she is with us this morning from parts away from here. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. Yes, I am coming to you live from Arkansas today oh, uh, because, <laughs> yes, because I completed a half marathon in Arkansas yesterday. I had the crazy and very dumb idea to run a half marathon in every state, and we completed number 21 yesterday in Arkansas. Congratulations. So when I was much younger, and actually as I get older, I develop more of a filter, but when, <laughs> when I was much younger, my wife was pregnant with my first child, Patrick, in 1994. And at the same time, she was about eight and a half months pregnant with him. My father was in the hospital at Barnes Jewish. And we get into an elevator at Barnes Jewish, and she's obviously very, very pregnant. And a woman is on the elevator with us and says, you two look so much alike. Are you brother and sister or are you married? And I said, we're from Arkansas. We're both. <laughs> Randy, what was her response? She was aghast and she got off the elevator very early. <laughs> you know what though? Great joke. I Thank understand you. it. I, Great joke. Uh, yeah, I used to be quick. So, uh, but I, I will say, even even though that might be true, Arkansas, great barbecue. Oh, great fantastic. Barbecue here. Yeah. <laughs> and Mizzou plays at Arkansas on Friday afternoon their traditional Black Friday game. And Michelle, how about those M-I-Z-Z-O-U Tigers on Saturday? Such a great victory for Mizzou that Florida fired their head coach. Yeah, that, that has happened to Mizzou. People don't like losing to Mizzou, and that causes head coaches to lose their job. So uh, late in the going, Harrison Mevis misses a long field goal, a 46-yard field goal in the final minute. So the game goes to overtime, tied at 16. Florida scores, hits the extra point, and Mizzou's got the ball second in the first overtime period. They give the ball to Tyler Beatty once, twice, touchdown. Rather than kick the extra point, Coach Drink decides to go for two. Beatty lines up, lone setback. Two tight ends, wings to each side, Bazelak under center. Rolling to his right, being flushed to the pocket, throws underneath, open. Missouri wins on Daniel Parker reception from Connor Bazelak. With two floor defenders in his grill, Missouri is bowl eligible in overtime. 24-23 on the Central Bank Tiger Network from Learfield. Mike Kelly with the call on the Big 550 and the Tiger Network. Mike is going to join us at 845. And, Michelle, the big story there is what Mike said. Mizzou is bowl eligible for the second year in a row under Eli Drinkwitz. 
And that's progress under under Coach Drinkwitz to not only get a, a big game like this under his belt, but to get the Tigers Bowl eligible. And it's uh, it was such a great game, Randy, for so many reasons. I loved that Coach Drinkwitz wasn't afraid to go for it. He was playing to win the game, not to lose the game. Tyler Beatty just continues to be one of the most underrated players in the country. And and what a performance for Mizzou's defense, Randy, holding the Gators to 360 total yards. It seems like they're making progress, too. And I loved Coach Drinkwitz doing the little <laughs> troll job of Dan Mullen with the lightsaber thing after the game. If you're a Mizzou fan, you have to feel great about the hands that your program is in with Eli Drinkwitz. No doubt. Mizzou at Arkansas on Friday and and the Illini without their head coach, Brett Bielma, losing at Iowa on Saturday. And, Michelle, I was uh, flipping back and forth last night between Mizzou basketball against SMU in the opener of the Jacksonville Classic and Sunday Night Football. So I've got my remote going. Mm-hmm. And Mizzou is down by 12 with 7.40 to go, and they go to a TV timeout. And I said, oh, this game's over. And so <laughs> I didn't go back to Mizzou. They wind up tying the game and winning it against SMU in overtime, 80-75. to 75. And after the loss to UMKC... Kansas City now. The Tigers have won a couple in a row, and they're 3-1. and one. They better win, obviously, after the, a loss to Kansas City. But that was a good win last night, and I thought, I thought they were done. Well, maybe that's the key, Randy, is that you just need to turn off the Mizzou game in order for them to win. Yeah, I, giving up, I think, was very helpful. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, quitting on if- them. Quitting on them was totally the play. But what a big weekend for Mizzou Athletics as a whole. No doubt. Good uh, good couple of wins for both Eli Drinkwitz and Conzo Martin. Our Blues kind of scuffled on Saturday night. Not kind great. Of. Yeah, they kind allowed of. a couple of shorthanded goals and fell to the Dallas Stars in Dallas. The final score was 4-1. to one. And Craig Berube, what happened? You know, it's all, all short, all uh, special teams tonight. Um, you know, the power play got a goal, but giving up two shorthanded goals. The game for me was on the line. Third period, we get two power plays uh, to start the period, and that's that's the game. Yeah, you, you can't give up shorthanded goals. Your power play has to score. They can't be allowing goals. And I know that Dallas has some fast players. Rupe Hintz is maybe the fastest player in the league, this side of Connor McDavid, but you just can't be giving those up, and that's going to cause you to lose games. And, Michelle, the Blues have kind of wasted now that great start, that 7-1-1 start. They kind of have to start over now. Yeah, I was wondering if the real Blues could please stand up because we saw them come out to this unbelievable start. They were at the top of the Western Conference. We were feeling really great about the team. Yes, there was injuries. Yes, guys went on the COVID list. But when you lose five of your past six and six of your past eight while getting guys back, that's that's more than just people getting back into the flow of things. That's some issues that you need to address. And I thought that after they won that game last week, right, that, that would be something that they could build off of. But then you come out and you have this performance versus Dallas. It's disheartening. The captain, Ryan O'Reilly. Gosh, that was, yeah, we know we have to be better there. And, you know, our power play is very good. And, you know, we had some looks, but still we gave up two the other way. And, you know, that's that makes it very tough to win. Um, You know, we know we're, you know, we know we're better than that. We know we have to be smarter than that and and support each other better when there is a questionable puck or something. But, um, yeah, it makes it tough to win when you put yourself in a situation like that. But, um, you know, overall, I thought we competed well. We just... Again, wasn't uh, the execution fought the puck a bit at uh, you know at times, which is happens and it's uh, yeah it's tough. 
As the Blues welcome Alex Petrangelo and the Vegas Golden Knights to town tonight. They're in third place, Michelle, in the central behind Minnesota. They have 23 points. And Winnipeg, who has 22. The Blues have 20, and they're just a point ahead of Nashville and three points ahead of Colorado. And the Avalanche are surging a little bit. They've won uh, six. They have points in seven of their last ten. So I, I would suggest that the are actually eight of their last ten for Colorado, seven, two, and one, and they've won four in a row. Uh, the Blues get, better get back on the beam here. This has been uh, a stretch where they've had a lot of games in a condensed amount of time. Do you think there's any fatigue here? What are you contributing these losses to? I know a lot of them seem to be self-inflicted, whether it's effort or turnovers or the, the power special teams, but it just seems like there has to be something else contributing to this. There is a lot of self-inflicted. There are a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Everybody's playing the same schedule, so it shouldn't right. be the case. And yes, t- NHL teams have their nights where they just aren't good. But this is beyond that. And the other night, yes, the effort did struggle. But from a structure standpoint, and maybe it's that so many guys have been out and they're trying to put things back together with the guys that they have on the power play because there should never be a scenario in which you allow two power play goals in a game. You shouldn't allow two power play. JR tweeted this. Shouldn't allow two power play goals in a month, let alone a game. (laughs) Right. Good point. Last night, NFL wild game, the Chargers scored a touchdown late, a long touchdown pass from who uh, a guy who appears to be the next superstar quarterback, Justin Herbert, hits Mike Williams with a 55-yard TD in the final minute, and the Chargers beat the Steelers 41-37. to If you're building an NFL tr- franchise and you can pick a young quarterback, are you going with Justin Herbert? Yeah, I think so. If I'm going to go with a first- or second-year quarterback, I, I believe he would be the guy I would go with ahead of Trevor Lawrence, who has not Mm -hmm. performed well at this point. There's some guys that have played really well, but I would go with him. He's great. He's got the skill set. He he has the poise too, Randy. He doesn't get too worked up over things. I know that was kind of something that was almost looked at as a negative towards him when he was coming out in the draft, but I think he has the right demeanor to be um, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. Seems like the Chiefs are back. They knocked off Dallas yesterday. By the way, the Riz show down the hall spent the weekend <laughs> watching football. They did a tailgate at Mizzou, watched Mizzou beat Florida on Saturday. Then they make their way over to Kansas City for that game yesterday, the Chiefs and the Cowboys. And Kansas City is back. And Spag's defense, Michelle, in the first four games of the season, the Chiefs allowed 33 points a game. In the second four games of the season, they allowed 23 points a game. So 33 to 23 from quarter one to quarter two. Now in the three games so far in this quarter, they've allowed 10 points a game. So Spag's defense just getting better and better and better. Yeah, the Chiefs all of a sudden seven and four. They're first in the AFC West, Randy. They've won four in a row, including three wins versus Green Bay, Vegas, and now Dallas. So it does in fact seem that the that Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are back. We've got uh, four downs for you coming up. We should note that our Miami Dolphins did win a game. It was only the Jets, but they did win a game 24-17 over the Jets, who started Joe Flacco. You know that you're a dumpster fire. When you're a (laughs) terrible team and you have a young backup quarterback who threw for 400 yards three weeks ago, and you decide, we'll, we'll start Joe Flacco. It's just bad decisions all around for the Jets. It's something in the water. I don't know what it is, but they cannot stop themselves from being a hot mess. No, they're horrific. That It's just terrible, and I can't imagine being a Jets fan. Can't imagine being a Bears fan. They fall to Baltimore. Baltimore didn't have Lamar Jackson. 16-13 the final there. And, Michelle, with Lamar back, 
I kind of think the AFC Championship game is going to be Baltimore and Kansas City. Ooh, and that would be entertaining, but I could see it. I could definitely see it, especially now with Tennessee after that loss yesterday. No Derrick Henry. It doesn't look like they're going to be the formidable challenger that we thought they were. I could definitely see it being the Ravens and the Chiefs. And Arizona is now 9-2. and two. They're undefeated on the road. They beat Seattle 23-13. to 13, And they are, at least from a record standpoint, the NFC favorites right now. And we need to throw some respect, I think, on Cliff Kingsbury's name, Randy, to be mm-hmm. able to be 2-1 and one without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins. There was a lot of questions around Cliff Kingsbury and if he was the right person for that job. But to be able to be in this position, best record in the NFL, and doing so without your MVP caliber quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins is very impressive. Is this respect with the T at the end, or is this respect? With a K, respect. Oh, respect. There was some respect on his name. Got it. That's okay. Right. And one other note that we need to pass along here that's very important. Yesterday, in the Adam Wainwright uh, Big League Impact Fantasy Football League, the Carriker and Smallman team piled up 172.55 points, which Michelle, for the weekend, was the highest of any team in the league. I mean, this is what happens. Just the two of us. The Dolphins Just get the, the win. Character and Smallman gets the win. It's a big weekend for us. It was 172 points, and uh, we're going to make the playoffs. Now the question is, <laughs> how dominant are we going to be in the playoffs? And can I give you some bad news? Oh, yes, of course. You Okay. Uh, so we are in Adam's division, and yes. we're 7-5 we're and five now. Uh, Adam Wainwright in last place in the division. You know what, Randy? He is out in the community. He is serving volunteers outside the courthouse. He is getting ready for spring training, dunking clowns at the fair. I mean, fantasy football just doesn't seem to be the main priority, and I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with him being in last place because if we win, that means we get the belt and we get ultimate bragging Yes, this is true. And Adam Wainwright, we know, is an ultimate competitor, and uh, I'm okay with this because I was worried that he would be our number one contender here. Yeah, Wayno falls to three and nine on the season. Yikes. So no wonder he wanted to dunk that clown. (laughs) Yeah, take out his anger on the clown. (laughs) That's Michelle. I'm Randy, off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, start one, bench one, cut one. This will be a fun day for that because it's Thanksgiving week. Michelle and Randy with you. We want your text at the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Andrew Marsh is here. He'll have your start one, bench one, cut one. Michelle and Randy and the Air Comfort Service text line is all yours today. 65780. Okay, Michelle, I'm going to get things started here with a Thanksgiving carb side edition. Okay, this is sides with carbs. (laughs) So start one, bench one, cut one. Mashed potatoes, stuffing, mac and cheese. Okay. I am going to start stuffing because I think outside of turkey, stuffing is the star of the show. I actually prefer stuffing to turkey. If I'm loading up my plate, a bigger percentage of my plate is going to be dedicated to stuffing than it is to turkey. So I'm Good, going to nothing start wrong with stuffing. That play. Good play. You know, and and we do our stuffing. Um, Italian style, so we have a good Italian bread and spicy Italian sausage in ours. It's very delicious. Um, 
I am going to bench mashed potatoes mm. and cut mac and cheese. I love mac and cheese, but I think mac and cheese could be a main at any time. I think calling mac and cheese aside is almost disrespectful to mac and cheese. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. I'm not even going to put mac and cheese in this conversation. Wow, I like that. I like the thought. <laughs> But because I asked the question and placed it as a side, I must count it as a side. So I am actually starting mac and cheese. I am benching stuffing and I am reluctantly cutting mashed potatoes, which, by the way, are nothing without gravy. If What's the point of mashed potatoes if you don't have gravy? And mashed potatoes could be hit or miss depending on who's making them. If they're not whipped right, you know, and they're lumpy, it's, it's such a bummer. I have no problem with mashed potatoes out of a box. I really don't. Nice and well, creamy. you'll never know. Yeah. Well, it's uh, what the Idaho, the Idaho mashed potatoes are just, you come and mix them out of a box. Too much work to make real mashed potatoes. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Um, you know what else is a lot of work, Randy, being the head football coach at Florida? Because it really doesn't matter how much success you have, you're likely going to get fired. So start one, bench one, cut one. Well, unless you're Urban Meyer, that is. Start one, bench one, cut one. The past three coaches that the Florida Gators have had, Will Muschamp, Jim McElwain, Dan Mullen. First of all, they got to get away from the M's, okay? <laughs> yeah. I, hire Not somebody with, with a name that starts with a C or an S or something like that. Okay, so Mullen, McElwain, Muschamp. I am, I am going to, I'm going to start Mullen. Mullen had success at Mississippi State. The guy had, this is a problem with Florida. And other schools, uh, Texas, but Florida, you can have three or four really good years in a row, and then you have a down year, and they get rid of you. This is, and we're going to have Dan Deardorff on later. Dan Deardorff said, "Why should people be upset with Jim Harbaugh? He, he wins ten games a year, nine or ten games a year. Last year he had a down year, and they re-signed him. They gave him an extension." I. <laughs> And I get that Florida thinks that uh, everything about Dan Mullen was terrible. Well, he he had a down year. He was in the in the championship game and gave Alabama a run for their money a year ago. So Mullen starts. McIlwain is going to be the guy that I bench, and I'm cutting Will Muschamp just because he has one of those Jay Cutler type faces that you just <laughs> you, you want to punch. And McIlwain doesn't. Oh, McIlwain totally does, but at least. It's kind of fun. He plays with sharks and stuff. I don't know if it was just playing with. I don't know if the shark enjoyed it. I thought that was the Jimmy John's guy that just so happened to look like McElwain. I think I still think it was (laughs) McElwain. Well, the fact that it's even a question is probably why you want to want to bench him, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Or maybe want to cut him. Who you going Um, with? So I'm with you. I'm going to start Dan Mullen because not only was he in the SEC championship game a year ago, even though they lost to Alabama then and lost to Alabama this year, they played Alabama as good or better than anyone else in the country. So I think that it's a mistake firing him. But I understand if you're a Florida and you have an ego and certain amount of expectations for your program and the Mizzou Tigers not only beat you, but their head coach is dunking on you and his postgame press conference. That can't be a good feeling. Um, but I'm going to start Dan Mullen. I'm actually going to bench Will Muschamp, who had a handful more wins than Jim McElwain. He went 28 and 21 at Florida McElwain, 22 and 12. So I'm going to cut Jim McElwain. And maybe it is because of the, the Jimmy John Shark photo likeness. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, you lose a Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback in Kyle Trask. You lose your most explosive player, first-round pick, Kadarius Tony. You lose Kyle Pitts, a tight end who's the highest rated tight end coming out in the draft ever and 
you aren't Alabama. So you lose three players like that, high draft picks, and you aren't going to be, unless you're Alabama, as good right off the bat. So I think this was a mistake. I think it was a stupid move by Florida. But their fans love it. They, they couldn't wait to get rid of Dan Mullen. I hope they wind up losing a lot. But isn't that the problem, what you just said, is that they're not Alabama? And all of these programs think that they should and could be right. Alabama. Whether it's Michigan or USC or Texas or Florida, they all expect to have the same level of success or at least sniff some sort of success. Like Nick Saban has had at Alabama. They expect them to not only win national championships, but to be a dynasty. And that right. is unrealistic. Exactly. All right, Andrew, what do you have on the text line? Yeah, we were talking about, of course, Thanksgiving as that's coming up and you guys are talking about sides i want to dive in more towards the the turkey side of thing okay so start one bench one cut one thanksgiving turkey deep fried smoked or baked Ooh. okay randy as the griller on the show or the person in charge of the turkey on the show i will defer to you this is very difficult this year i'm only doing one turkey and it's going to be smoked on the traeger I love a deep fried turkey and I do deep fried turkeys and uh, roasted in the oven is always this is a very very difficult choice because that's always really good too I'm gonna say that if I were to make a turkey if I were to do one in March one year uh, it was snowing really hard in March Michelle it was (laughs) spring training and we were coming home and there were two or three inches of snow on the ground and I said hey Let's do a Christmas dinner. Let's do Christmas in March. And I I did the turkey on the grill. So I'm going to say randomly, if I'm going to do a turkey, I'm going to do it on the grill. It's going to be smoked uh, on the Traeger, fried second, and roasted third. Okay, I'm going to... So I'm starting smoked, I'm benching fried, and I'm cutting uh, roasted. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to go kind of the opposite here. I'm going baked and or roasted uh, as my starter here because I'm a traditionalist. And isn't that what we've always done with turkeys before we try to get fancy with the Traegers or deep frying things for YouTube? We've always just thrown it in the oven. So I'm going with baked. I'm going to bench deep fried because we are in the Midwest and we love to deep fry things. (laughs) And I'm going to cut smoked because sometimes I feel like if you get a smoked turkey, the smokiness can overpower the flavors of the turkey. Mm, Okay. Fair enough. All right. Staying on that Thanksgiving train, everyone on this text line, they are so excited for Thanksgiving. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Tomorrow is hump day. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. So start one, bench one, cut one, Thanksgiving parades, Football on Thanksgiving or black, I guess Black, black Thursday Friday. shopping because they're they're making it now. Now you can go shopping whenever on Thursday. Yeah, although I think the, a lot of stores are deals. Yeah, I think a lot of stores are closed. So parades, let's just say shopping and football. Michelle, what do you got? Well, I just want the record to state that I think all three of these things, while inherently tied to Thanksgiving, are overrated. I don't care about the parade. The football's always terrible, and I don't do Black Friday shopping. I'm a Cyber Monday girl, click, done. But I'm going to start football because even though the games usually don't live up to the hype, there's something about being in a food coma in your sweatpants laying on the couch knowing that the NFL is going to be the soundtrack that lulls you into a nap. So I'm going to start football. I'm going to bench 
shopping because a lot of these Black Friday sales now have gone online. I just don't like to wait in lines. I'm not. Sure. I'm never going to be the person that gets up at 3 a.m. and stands outside a store to get a TV. Uh, I'm too lazy for that, and I hate the cold. <laughs> but now that it's gone digital, I will bench shopping, and I'm going to cut the parade because the parade's always on while you're cooking, but I never really pay attention to it. It's just not really my jam. All right, uh, Michelle, this is... I like all of these. This is exceptionally difficult. So <laughs> one time when the kids were little, we took them up to New York for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And it was a great time. Had great food. The parade was fun to see in person. We have a tradition in the character household. We get up at about 4 o'clock on Black Friday. And we go out. And it's not to wait in line and shop. We just kind of walk around and find things. And we always buy a gift that costs less than $20 for each other. Uh, we, we pulled names. And then we hand those out. Uh, we give those on Christmas Eve. And then obviously football. And it, as much as I like the Turkey Day games in the NFL, Turkey Day here with Tur Kirkwood and Webster is pretty awesome. So this is very difficult, but I am going to, because of the, the great memories, I am going to start the parades. I'm going to bench the football and I'm going to cut the shopping. And at the end of the day, Michelle, I'm with you on the uh, the Cyber Monday. I think that's a better fit for me at this time of my life. The click done. Absolutely. Thank you, Amazon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Absolutely. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Week 11 in the National Football League. And we've got four downs for you. Coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Week 11 in the National Football League. It's time for Four Downs with Character and Smallman. And Michelle will get things started with... First Down. Well, Randy, it was a rough day for the Bears and for Matt Nagy in Chicago yesterday. Bears and Ravens. First of all, Justin Fields leaves the game with injured ribs in the third quarter. Andy Dalton comes in. He throws two touchdowns. Some drama at the end of the game. Dalton connected with Marquise Goodwin for the touchdown to punctuate a 75-yard drive. Chicago's up 13-9, 1.41 left in the game. They failed that two-point conversion. Baltimore capitalized on their mistake with a 72-yard touchdown drive. They come out with the victory, 16-3. 13. Oh, and did I mention they won the game with Tyler Huntley under center? That's right. <laughs> Lamar Jackson dealing with an illness, so he didn't play. This is the Bears' fifth straight loss. They fall to 3-7 and seven on the season. It's also the second straight game where they lost the lead late in the game. And, Randy, the fans in Chicago made their feelings known loud and clear. <laughs> Fire Nagy chants raining down on the Bears head coach. And fans don't care that Khalil Mack and Hakeem Nix and Allen Robinson were out. They're looking at a game that the Bears could have and should have won, but ended up losing in part due to sus play calling from Matt Nagy. And I know Frank Sinatra said that you can bet your bottom dollar that you'll lose the Blues in Chicago, Chicago. <laughs> but clearly that does not apply to Bears fans. And I have to wonder if that game might have been the final nail in Matt Nagy's coffin. Yeah, I have to think that it was and just from a fan's optics standpoint 
they have to make the move and they have to lose with the next guy. Uh, clearly, <laughs> it's, it's a group of fans that doesn't understand. Ryan Pace is the issue there. If you don't have an offensive line, if you don't have a defense, uh, you aren't going to be able to play. If you're missing your two best players, you're missing arguably, I guess. Max certainly is your best player, but you're missing fields on offense for most of the game. You're receiving tandem or your receiving group is suspect at best. Uh, you can't protect the quarterback. You've got a nice player in David Montgomery. Matt Nagy is not the biggest issue there. The, there's never been a coach in the NFL that won without players. And Bears fans at some point are going to have to figure that out. They couldn't wait to get Justin Fields in there to get killed. And now they want another coach in there so that he can get Justin Fields killed. Worry about getting the offensive line fixed. Worry about getting a general manager that will put together a team. Michelle, here we go with second down. And here's a scary team for you. The Colts have moved to within a half game of the wild card spot in the AFC at 6-5 and five with a 41-15 thrashing, a former AFC favorite Buffalo. The Colts have won 5 of 6 and have allowed 18 or fewer points in four of those wins. Yesterday, Jonathan Taylor totaled 204 scrimmage yards, 185 rushing, 19 receiving, and he had five touchdowns, four on the ground, one through the air. Taylor is only 22 years and 306 days old. He's the third player in NFL history under the age of 23 with at least five touchdowns in a game. He joins Clinton Portis and Hall of Famer Gail Sayers, who scored six in a game back in 1965. Taylor is the first player ever to record 175 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns, and one touchdown reception in a single game. First ever, and he's the third player with at least 100 scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown in eight straight games. He joins Hall of Famer LaDainian Tomlinson and Lydell Mitchell. They've got a defense, they've got a running game. Carson Wentz is throwing the ball around, and they still aren't 100% healthy. Look out for the Colts. Just keep giving Jonathan Taylor the rock. He's going to handle his business. Yeah, and that's, a, uh, by the way, a general manager, Chris Ballard, who has built an offensive line and a defense and has a team that even without great quarterback play can still win. They're kind of the anti-Bears in Indy. Third down. Well, no Kyler Murray, no problem for the Arizona Cardinals, Randy. Colt McCoy was the man yesterday. He went 35-44. He threw for 328 yards and two touchdowns. He flat out outplayed Russell Wilson, and he led the Cardinals to a 23-13 win over the Seahawks. Also, no DeAndre, no DeAndre Hopkins, no problems for the Cardinals. Zach Ertz had eight catches for 88 yards and two scores. Rondale Moore had 11 receptions for 51 yards, so they're figuring out ways to win without their star players. But Kyler Murray's missing a third straight game due to that ankle injury and Arizona is now an NFL best nine and two they've gone two and one without Kyler and Kyler and according to Elias they're now six and oh on the road with all of those wins coming by double digits they're the fourth team in NFL history to win six straight on the road by double digits within a season and the third team to do that for their first six road games now they head into their Thanksgiving bye week in a great spot this team is legit Randy and imagine what they're going to look like once they get healthy come playoff time Right, yeah, they don't have their best guys. They don't have Murray. They don't have Hopkins. And those guys not only will be healthy, but presumably rested come playoff time. 
And one of the teams that voted against a Rams move to Los Angeles was the Arizona Cardinals. Michael Bidwell is loyal to St. Louis. He wanted us to have an NFL team. And for no other reason than that, I can root for them. But there's a lot of other reasons. I I like Cliff Kingsbury's house. I like their quarterback. (laughs) I I like the way that they are playing football. And I hope they do. And they're in the same division as the Rams. So I hope they win and keep winning. I hope they win and keep winning, too. And imagine having the Arizona Cardinals in the Super Bowl at SoFi. You have one of your division rivals playing in the Super Bowl in your house. That'd be great. Love to see it. Fourth down. Michelle, the Eagles, the Eagles, Nick Sirianni's Jalen Hurts' Eagles have won three of four, improving to five and six with wins over the Lions, Broncos, and yesterday the Saints, 40 to 29. In those three wins, they've scored 44, 30, and then 40 points. Jalen Hurts has accounted for six touchdowns in the three wins. He's turned the ball over one time in the last four games. Now, normally you say, Randy, who cares? But here's why we should. Philly has gotten hot. They're playing better. They're getting healthy. And here's who they have coming up, Michelle. They've got the Giants. They've got the Jets. They've got the football team. They've got the Giants again. They've got the football team again. (laughs) And then they wrap up with the Cowboys at home on January 9th. Philly could easily win all of those games. They can wind up 11-6. and The Eagles, that dumpster fire, they're in a position to make a playoff run. Who would have thought that? There is a reason, Randy, why I gave Jalen Hurts my one-on-one game ball in last week's edition of The Backler because I've liked what I've been seeing out of him. And growth is not linear. Success is not linear. And I had a feeling that Jalen Hurts was figuring it out. And so were the Eagles because if they stick to this run-first approach, they're going to find success. And it's all luck. It's all luck. I mean, they took Jalen Hurts in the (laughs) second round. They thought, oh, well, he'll be a backup for Carson Wentz. Their owner fires Doug Peterson because he didn't like the way that Carson Wentz was treated. They think, oh, Carson Wentz is going to be our quarterback. Carson Wentz demands a trade. They get rid of him, and they put Hurts in there. All of this is luck. They they get their, like, fifth choice for a head coach in Nick Sirianni. It's unbelievable. But it's fun. It's fun to see. Good for Philadelphia fans. Those are four downs on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you. You can join us via the uh, text line 65780. The text line brought to you by Air Comfort Services. And Michelle, I'll get things started here. Take it or leave it. Eli Drinkwitz and Mizzou go to an SEC championship game before Florida does. Oh, I'll take that. I'll definitely take that. Um, Eli Drinkwitz has this Mizzou program in a good position right now, and I think it's only going to continue to grow, whereas Florida is hitting the reset button. So you know that they're going to, whoever the new head coach is, is going to change his scheme. He's going to recruit differently. It's going to take a year, at least a year or two, probably for things to even start to click. So I'll go ahead and take that. I was down on Steve Wilkes in the first half of the season. I guess that's why you need to be patient because their defense has been playing great. 
Okay, Randy, I have one for you. So the Vikings beat the Packers 34 to 31 yesterday, and you wouldn't know it by listening to the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, in his post-game presser yesterday. Here was a quote that he had. He said, Sundays are not fun. You know they say Sunday is fun day? It's not. Talking about the, the stressors of an NFL team. Take it or leave it. As a former Rams fan, you agree with that statement. Oh, yeah, I will absolutely take that. Yeah, you think you're going to go and have a good time and it's going to be fun, and then you go 15 and 65 over five <laughs> years and you win seven games at home. Not fun. After the Rams left St. Louis, I know so many people were heartbroken, but Sundays became an infinitely better day on the calendar for me because you didn't have to be emotionally tormented by a bad football team. But again, this is coming after a win for the Vikings. Right, yeah. For a coach, it is rough. Yeah, they don't have fun. Coaches don't have fun, but at least when you win, the fans should have fun, theoretically. <laughs> Andrew, what do you got for us on the text line? Uh, take it or leave it. The NFL settles with St. Louis at a number closer to $2 billion than $1 billion. Uh, well, yes, because $4 billion is closer to $2 billion than $1 billion is. <laughs> if there's a settlement, it'll be at least $4 billion. But, Randy, do you think that if the NFL is looking at $4 billion for a settlement, that they might just roll the, the dice and, and take their chance in court? Because that's likely what the a judgment would be anyway. And if I'm the NFL and I know that if we're found guilty in this process, that $4 billion is going to be the price tag, I might as well just, you know, test fate and go to court. What they're up against is that there are very few municipalities in America that provide greater punitive damages than the city of St. Louis. So four billion might as well be eight or nine or 10. It could wind up being that that's the case. So rather than roll the dice on it being eight or nine or 10, four billion might be a better price for them. All right, we were talking about Thanksgiving. Gotta bring it back up, guys. Take it or leave it. You would rather host Thanksgiving than be a guest, even though there is a lot of preparation involved because at least you're in your own home. There is absolutely no doubt. That is 100% the case. I like to be able to get up. I like to have my Thanksgiving morning breakfast burritos. I like to <laughs> make the stuff myself. I like to not get dressed up and just kind of hang out. Yeah, I, I definitely prefer that rather than getting in a car and going to somebody else's place where I'm not guaranteed that I'm going to like the food. I, I, I'm guaranteed at my home that I'm going to like the food. Give me the guest spot all day. Mm. I'm not worried about the stressors of making sure that everything is cooked on time and everything is warm. I don't have to do all of the preparation leading up to that day. I'm talking table settings and arranging who's bringing what. There's so much stress that goes into that day. And then you have the cleanup. And I know that people help you clean up uh, in the kitchen once everything's done you pack the to-go bags for everybody but even after everyone leaves there's still more cleanup involved you have to take the leaf out of the table put the chairs away pack up the games so i would much rather be the person that gets to go home at the end of the night with my pumpkin pie in a bag there's cleanup after thanksgiving yeah you don't have clean do you have someone that's designated cleanup evidently <laughs> <laughs> here's where i'm at on that if you're going to multiple different families, you don't have time to cook food at your own place. I love going to different places throughout the day because you get to experience other people's cooking because you might have the same exact meal, but it's going to be cooked different. It might taste different too. That's totally a young person's thing. 
Uh, that's what my son and his girlfriend are going to... I think they might have to go to three. So, Ooh. yeah, I, I... It all winds up be, being the same for me. And even in my younger days, guys, I couldn't do three Thanksgiving meals. No, I, I sometimes on holidays can find an extra compartment for dessert. I don't know if I could find an extra compartment for three different Thanksgiving meals. You have to sleep on the way there. I guess that was me growing up, though. <laughs> I guess you fan, can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, take it or leave it. If Adam Oates had not left the Blues, the Blues would have won a cup in the 1990s. Oh, this is a very good question. Okay, so if they don't trade Oatsy, I, it's a great question. I don't think they were deep enough to win a Stanley Cup. But that being said, I think Ron Karam would have collected enough good players that they would have been able to win one. So I'm going to take that, that if they would not have traded Oats, Hull and Oats would have been so dynamic that they would have been able to find a way to win a cup. But are you kind of glad it didn't happen? Because the way that the Blues ended up winning in 19 was so magical and it was such a special ride that I don't know if any other scenario could have lived up to what we ended up getting as our first Stanley Cup championship in St. Louis. I'll tell you what, though, if the Blues would have been able and you didn't have the good fortune of being able to go to games at the arena, if the Blues would have been able to win a Stanley Cup at the old arena, they wouldn't have had to implode it. It would have just imploded itself. It would have been unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> that was so loud. It was such an incredible building. And man, Hull and Oates together were special. They were great. Well, also think about all the other players that the Blues end up getting rid of in the 90s. Well, yeah, they can make a special case for that. They had like a 22 or 23 year run where every single Stanley Cup champion had at least one former blue. And of course, you had Quenville winning three Stanley Cups. You had Scotty Bowman winning, was it nine or 11? I think, yeah, it was nine that Scotty won. Al Arbor won four after he left here. Jacques Demers left and won one. I mean, we've had so many coaches that have left and won Stanley Cups. We, the top four winning coaches in the history of the National Hockey League all coach the Blues. <laughs> all right, Randy, you were talking about SLU soccer last week. So take it or leave it, SLU makes the Elite Eight of the College Cup. So uh, a big win yesterday over LIU. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to I'm going to take it. Yeah, they're the only undefeated team everything that's been put in front of them they have handled so i'm going to take it i'm gonna take that too go bills all right another take it or leave it we talked about him earlier today justin herbert and the chargers take the afc west i am uh i'm inclined to think that kansas city is going to win the afc west I think I'll go with the, the Chiefs rather than the Chargers. Let's see. I'm looking at the Chargers' remaining schedule. That's always like how I like to mm -hmm. gauge some of these things. And they still have the Broncos, the Bengals, the Giants. That's a winnable stretch. Mm -hmm. They played the Chiefs on December 16th, and then they close out with the Texans, the Broncos, and the Raiders. They could have one loss during that stretch. And they're only a half game behind. Yeah. But here's here's so what you got for KC. KC has the Broncos at home on December 5th. And then they have the Raiders at home. Then they're at SoFi against the Chargers. And that might be the game uh, 
a late game on December 16th. And then uh, they get the Steelers at home, the Chiefs do, at Cincy, and then the Broncos in Denver. Uh, I I still like Kansas City in that division. Isn't it crazy how Kansas City was at the bottom of the barrel in that division and none of these teams could put them away and create a sizable gap and now they're back at the top? And they're getting better and better and better. Their defense getting better. Mahomes seems to be back. Uh, they still don't have all of their guys. I think that they're – if I were to pick a Super Bowl favorite right now, I think I would go with the Chiefs. And by the way, the, the Buccaneers play tonight, and the, the Buccaneers haven't won in about a month. But Buccaneers are still going to be there at the end too. Not the Arizona Cardinals, Randy? Well, I mean, at the end, uh, the NFC Championship game very well could be Tampa and Arizona. Okay. So that Those are the teams. Thanks, Andrew. Oh, you got one more? Oh, yeah. Let's Give us go. One, one oh, good one yeah. Uh, <laughs> take it or leave it. Coach Drink, the most entertaining coach in Mizzou football history. Well, yeah. <laughs> take it. So as much as I love Gary, Gary wasn't Gary Pinkle. Uh, he wouldn't have ever done anything like what Coach Drink did yesterday. Larry Smith wasn't going to do that. Uh, prior to Larry Smith, you had Bob Stull. He wasn't going to do. Bob Stull was actually kind of boring. Uh, Woody, no. Woody was fun, but he wouldn't have done anything like that. Yeah, it's not even a contest. Drinkwitz is far and away, no question about it, the most entertaining coach in Mizzou history. And I think you have to think about Michelle, where he ranks, and if he starts winning with the all-time college coaches. Oh, come on, Randy. You're not going to give Barry Odom any entertaining love? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> he was kind of forgettable. So I, I love him. I was kidding. Yeah. No, I, I, even, I um, forgot about him. I, I, for, I literally forgot about the fact that there was a guy between Pinkle and Drinkwitz. I know. Um, <laughs> you definitely have to take that, though. Coach Drinkwitz, whether it's it's the Jordans at SEC Media Day or, or what he did in his post-game presser with the, with the uh, Star Wars references to dunk on Dan Mullen, he's just a really cool and fun guy, which is so interesting because I think when he first got announced as the Mizzou head football coach, everyone wanted to judge a book by its cover. They didn't really mm -hmm. understand, but anyone we talked to who had been around Eli Drinkwitz was like, trust us, this guy has got it. He's got the personality. He is going to be a star at Mizzou, and he absolutely is. So I think hands down, he's the most entertaining coach, at least that I've seen in my lifetime at Mizzou. Yep. Thanks for your texts. We do appreciate them. Coming up, are you buying into the hype about the Cardinals offseason? Yes, we might have a lockout in a couple of weeks, but we're hearing things about the Cardinals actually being involved in improving their team. Are you buying it? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. From all my friends, uh, I think Ken Rosenthal's got his finger on the pulse of this more than anyone. Uh, the Cardinals are in the free agent shortstop market. They are 100% in it. Now, does that mean they're going to sign one of these guys? I'm not sure. Uh, but they are shopping around. And to me, that is the deepest uh, genre of this free agent class. It's the shortstop market. If you want to be excited, 
during a winter and you know your team, which was already in the postseason, uh, and there's excitement around you know, new leadership in the dugout. Uh, I, I don't know how you can be frustrated when you know, and if Ken Rosenthal is reporting that the Cardinals are definitely in the market shopping around in this free agent class for shortstops, that's exciting. That's our friend Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. It's 8.05. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And there certainly is smoke, Michelle, to make one believe that the Cardinals would be in on the free agent market. What Greg is reporting, and obviously he has access to the best insiders in all the sports, the Cardinal ownership, Bill DeWitt Jr., saying we currently have some money to spend in terms of what we're looking at. All that being said, the Cardinals' two biggest free agent acquisitions ever have been the $85 million deal for Dexter Fowler and the $85 million deal for Mike Leake. Neither of those worked out. And I would be somewhat surprised if the Cardinals would dive into the free agent pool and spend big money on a long-term contract rather than go with what they have been with developing young players and getting them to the major leagues or making deals. I believe the Cardinals already have their big money players on the corners with Arenado and Goldschmidt. But what about starting pitching, Randy? Because John Mozeliak has given us a little peek, or at least what he wanted to show us, a peek behind the curtain when he indicated that Paul DeYoung might not have gotten a fair shake in the way that we view him because of what he dealt with with COVID in 2020 and the rib injuries in 21. So either he's trying to sweeten the perception of Paul DeYoung for other teams, or he's trying to lay the groundwork for Cardinals fans to deal with the fact that it looks like he might be the guy returning. But while the Cardinals may be shopping in the shortstop aisle, I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger with the purchase. But when I look at this team, they are a team that has a lot of great pieces in place and that could be built to win next built to win next year. But I do think that they need to go out and get a starting pitcher. And I would not be surprised if that's where they spend that money that's coming off the books. That being said, I don't believe that they'll go after a Scherzer or even a, a Stroman. My guess would be that they'd be more inclined to look in Japan. There's a right-hander by the name of Nick Martinez who spent the last four years in Japan, kind of like what the Cardinals did when they brought Miles Michaelis back from Japan. My guess would be that would be more the direction they would go for a free agent and then hope that their youngsters, especially Alex Reyes, can stay healthy and do it, that Hudson and Flaherty can stay healthy and do it, and then maybe add a guy like Martinez to the, and they have been tied, by the way, to Nick Martinez, add him to the mix, replacing KK. I just, I don't see them going a five-year deal for $22, 23000000 million a year. And I wonder how Cardinals fans will receive that if that's in fact what happens this offseason, because fans like transactions, they like star power, and more importantly, they like what they believe to be a sure thing. And if the Cardinals head into 2022, which was the season that has been circled a lot as the year that they were going to be World Series contenders and go for it, and they're still relying on, we hope that Alex Reyes is gonna have enough to have a full season. We hope that Dakota Hudson is going to be healthy and we're going to get an international pitcher at cost and hope that that translates to Major League Baseball. I don't know if the fans are going to be pumped for that. I don't think so. Michelle, I want to get your take on this. I'll give you my take right now about Marcus Stroman, 
who is anybody who looks at his social media knows that he's really into social media and he's willing during the season because he's got that platform to take shots at the media that covers the team on a regular basis did that in new york he's from new york he's got apparently a rather acerbic personality do you think the Cardinals would go there with a guy that all they have to do is read his Twitter or his Instagram to know that he has a tendency to get into battles with people on social media, especially the, the regular media that covers the team? Do you think the Cardinals would that that would cause the Cardinals to pause in pursuing a player? Because I think it would. I think the Cardinals really look carefully at things like that when they're evaluating and pursuing players. That's a great question, Randy. And we've talked to John Mozalek about that. I believe it was the home opener last year when we asked him if they put as much stock into the person as they do the player. Because it does seem like a lot of the people that they bring in, whether it's Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arnado, great players, but also very much fit the Cardinal mold. How many people said when Paul Goldschmidt got acquired by the Cardinals, he's going to be the perfect Cardinal? Nolan Arnado certainly had that same designation as well. But even if it made the Cardinals pause a little bit, it should not be the ultimate thing that decides whether or not they go for a player. Maybe that's some a conversation that they have with the player before they sign him. It's, it's certainly a conversation worth having. Things aren't like that in St. Louis. If you think that you're going to be going after media or you're getting in Twitter fights, that's not what we want. We want you to have your focus solely be on the field. And maybe that's not something that someone like Marcus Stroman or a player would be amenable to. But if I'm the Cardinals, I don't really care what's happening on social media. All I want to know is what you're doing on the field. Are you able to compartmentalize what's happening on social media enough to go out there and help me have a winning product? We get a text from the 636. When are you going to come clean and let the fans know that Mrs. Bill took the 18 million, I don't know which 18 million that is, and has put that into the palace in Cincinnati, Ohio is home. So I'm, I'm not aware of this. I'm not really, I, I don't concentrate that much on the, the DeWitt homes. But uh, that's, so it, the texture said that, that they want us to come clean because they want us to research the, the DeWitt homes. So I, I, are you aware of this one, Michelle? No, haven't heard anything okay. about any sort of real estate transactions and or upgrades. They did buy a house in L.A. last year, but they can do with their money what they want. It's not ours to choose. Would I prefer, and I've said it before, should the Cardinals go out and get Max Scherzer? Is he the one guy that fits what the Cardinals are? Yes, they should. They should give him a three-year deal for $100 million. Will they? No. I'm, I don't think they will. <laughs> I, would, I would be stunned. But if they want to go buy a house in Los Angeles or they want to go upgrade their house in Cincinnati, I'm certainly not the one to tell them not to do that. I don't think any media member or fan should tell anybody how to spend their money. I don't think Bill DeWitt is saying to you, hey, don't upgrade your house. And if he did say that, I would say, why not? Let's have that conversation. Is it because you think that it's a, a bad way to spend money? Because this is what we do to them, is we want to dissect and analyze their finances and what they choose to do with. But that's because we are paying customers. That's the difference. If you're a Cardinals fan, you are paying to see a product that ultimately financially benefits him. So even though I don't know anything about real estate, I understand why fans want to make that connection and be upset about it. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's fresh take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the voice of the blues. Chris Kerber joins us, as he does every Monday. Blues taking on Vegas here in St. Louis tonight. We'll talk to Kerbs about Petro coming back next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. The Blues and the Vegas Golden Knights tonight at Enterprise Center. You'll hear the action here on 101 ESPN with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. And Alex Ferrario will have the pregame for you at 6 here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Chris Kerber joins us now. Good morning, sir. Happy Thanksgiving week. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. How are you guys doing? Good. Top Thanksgiving side for Chris Kerber. Ooh, uh, man, I, I like stuffing. Um, I'm, I'm a bread man when it comes to that part of it, so... Um, stuff it in the turkey when you're cooking a turkey. Put plenty of it aside, and then just make sure that it's uh, it's it's just just drizzled with greasy and, and fixings before you eat it. Yeah, that sounds delicious, Curbs. Well, a lot of people use Thanksgiving as the point in the schedule to determine the identity of an NHL team. It's kind of the the barometer there. What have you learned about this Blues team as we approach Thanksgiving? What do you think their identity is so far this season? Yeah, so some people take Thanksgiving like uh, like Claves' flag day in, in baseball. For me, I, I wait until we get to that, uh, until you get to about the 25-game mark. But, you know, I it's a team that's still finding its way. I, I'm, I looked at that, that last game against Dallas, and you're going, okay, you're, you're typically not going to give up two shorthanded goals, you know, and, and at even strength, you're still not getting enough production from some guys right now, but I look at that game and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, you know, if the Blues are playing their game, they're, they're going to be giving Dallas fits right now. And what I see is right, a team that's just missing opportunity. You know, there's only one regulation win in their last eight games. and the 17 games they've played, they've allowed three or more non-shootout goals in, I believe, 11 of them. Uh, they're giving up too many goals. In the meantime, your goaltender still has a save percentage over 9-12, and that's kind of a, a magical mark. So you're getting the saves you need. In, in, a, in some games, you're just not getting you know, the all-around team play. So when I look at how some of these games are being lost, I'm seeing missed opportunity than I am a team not capable of, of doing better, if that makes sense. So if, if, with that being the case, Curbs, what do the Blues need to do? I, I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned a couple weeks ago, you said you don't want to waste this start to the season and they're on the verge of doing that. So how do you turn this around and solve that problem? Well, I, I think they did do it. I mean, to be, to be real honest with you, like when you like the, the positive side is when, you know, you haven't wasted it to the standpoint of you're three points out of first place with one game in hand on the Minnesota wild who lost in the shootout last night. So you haven't wasted it from a standpoint of you are in a pretty good spot where you've wasted it from the flip side aspect of it is, the fact that instead of a gap and a bigger space between you and some teams that you could have right now, you don't. So you're back in the pack. From a league standpoint, you're, you're middle of the pack. You're 13th overall. From a, a playoff standpoint, you're third in your division, which is fantastic. You're not in the wild card spot, but 
you know, Colorado's back to three points behind you with three games a day. I don't know how Colorado just never plays any games, but they never <laughs> seem to play any games, right? I mean, there's, their schedule just baffles me the last few years, how they, they in the first 20 games, they seem to play so fewer games than everybody else. But, uh, you know, so you, you gave back whatever equity you had from a goal differential standpoint, from a, uh, from a record standpoint. And, and you let some teams get their uh, get their flow going while you had it and then lost it. So right now you're in a good spot. You just keep plugging forward. And the big one of the big differences, guys, this year is, and, and this is important to keep in mind, the feel of the last couple of years. Remember, you, you, you had you had the break, and then there's then there's kind of like the play in, and then the bubble, and then a delayed season, and then a 56 game sprint. This is an 82 game schedule again. And even though the games are somewhat compressed because of the Olympic break in February, it's still an 82-game schedule. It's a different beast, as it were. So you you can slide a little bit. You can come back a little bit in an 82-game schedule. It's a different feel than last year. Do you think that that schedule construction curbs is uh, playing a lot into what we're seeing with the Blues right now as far as endurance is concerned? I know there's guys that are coming back and they're trying to get their feel, but I wonder about what you just mentioned about the schedule. If if guys are just getting a little fatigued right now with so many games. No, I don't think you can say that because, I mean, the other teams are playing the same schedule and look at what Florida's doing. Look at what, you know, some of the other teams are doing. You know, there's – Look at what Minnesota, even in our own division, is doing. It, it's not schedule related; it's just game detail related. I think, I think, no doubt that uh, Ryan O'Reilly missing a few games threw uh, threw things really out of whack. It's something that the team hadn't dealt with with that guy gone, you know, for over, you know, basically for three seasons. Uh, then now he comes back, but Braden Shen is out, and so you know, you're talking about a team that hasn't played uh, with their top two centermen now for probably what 12, 13 straight games. They, that one or the other has been out, and while they're deep enough, those are still really important players for your hockey team. So, you know, they're managing, they're floating around 500 without it. They, they need those guys back. And defensively, they're still sorting things out. The, you know, I think Perunovic has looked pretty good. So kind of back to your very first question, Michelle, I think through 17 games, I think this team is still sorting out what they've got. And while they're doing it, they're finding a way to get points here and there. But they're they're missing opportunities to, for other points, and and again, just one win in your last five games is not good enough, and and the schedule is not going to get any easier when you're playing Vegas tonight. You'll have Tampa coming up right around the corner. You've got Detroit; they've got some good wins on their schedule. That's Wednesday. The Blackhawks are playing a much better style of hockey since the coaching change. That's Friday. So, if I'm the Blues, you can't take anybody for granted right now. You got to get your game going. Curbs, you mentioned Perunovic. I could envision two years down the road, fans saying, hey, let's go watch Perunovic play. He's got that sort of skill. He, he is an amazingly talented young man. I don't know where that talent is going to take him, but, man, he's got some skill. And, Randy, what impresses me is when you talk to some of the players, you know, whether it be a forward or, or say, Justin Falk, they, they talk about some of the little things they see him do in practice, whether it be the, just how tape-to-tape the passes are. And, and the, yes, I realize you're in the National Hockey League. That sounds basic. But believe me, some guys are better than it than others. Um, and, and just his vision and stuff. That they, they talk about some of the little things already. And, and he's – I'm like, you see what you're seeing through a few games, which has been pretty good. Uh, but, but the way the other players are talking about being on the ice with him and the awareness of when he's out there and what he can do, 
impresses you even more because uh, except for training camp in a few games, they haven't seen much of it. Yeah, they. I agree with you. It, within a couple of years, you're going to be saying, "Yep, that guy's worth buying a ticket to see," and 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 it's going to be a lot of fun. They they did a great job scouting him out of Minnesota Duluth, and uh, you know some some in the organization thought he'd be good enough to be a first uh, first round pick, and uh, when he was still there for the second round, they were thrilled he was still there. Kirk, you mentioned those two shorthanded goals that the Blues gave up to the Stars on Saturday. What was going on with their special teams? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have, we we had our own issues up in a booth. We we're trying to get figured out sometimes throughout that game. No, I have, I have, you know what? It, sometimes it's just going to happen there. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think the team was pushing. I think they were pressing. I, I think they were and and in doing so you make a couple of tough decisions and, and, you know, you're going up against a team whose penalty killing was no good through the first 15, 16 games. And they just came out and they played a really good aggressive style. I think it caught our guys off guard. Uh, so, you know, the one thing I, I, I saw us do on, on the power play in that game, Michelle, was I, I didn't think the Blues moved the puck quickly enough, you know. And, yeah, you're, you, they did get a power play goal, and I think we've got power play goals in five of our last six games. But for me, sometimes the passing can be really good, and, and you'll see it. But I just don't know if it's quick enough against the aggressive penalty killers. And, and when Dallas jumped out on there, one extra, one poor decision, one deflected puck, it creates a two-on-one. I think you can question whether or not you defended the, those two-on-one very well. I don't think this season, it's in a couple of situations like that, the Blues have maybe defended that uh, too well. Sometimes you want – the goalies will tell you that they want they want the defender to take the pass. They'll take the shooter. And in both situations, our defensemen and two different players, by the way, took the shooter, and then that pass was left open, and then it's it's impossible on the goaltender. So – I wonder sometimes if it's not even so much how the power play was going, but how that, that play specifically was defended. Curbs, before this season started, if you would have told me that Vegas had come to town the Monday before Thanksgiving and their two leading scorers would be Chandler Stevenson and Riley Smith, I would have said, you're crazy. Nothing against those two guys, but I, I just kind of figured they might have had somebody else at the, at the top of their scoring list. Yeah, you know, that that's true. Stone and Pacioretty, they've been out. Stone is back. Pacioretty is still out. Of course, Vegas just made that big deal for Jack Eichel, who had successful surgery, and we'll see what happens in a few months if he's able to come back. But the Chandler-Stevenson deal is such a great one, a bit of a cap situation for the Washington Capitals, and Vegas was able to take control of it. And he has been just – like, he has been to the – Vegas Golden Knights, in a lot of ways, what Ryan O'Reilly's meant for the St. Louis Blues, mm-hmm. just in terms of constantly impacting every single game he's playing, and and he's a he's a fun fun player to watch. Um, it, this is look, this is a Vegas team that that's found their stride. They can still throw a lot of stuff at you. I'm excited to see if there's a little fire in the belly with Stone back in the lineup. He wasn't in the last time these two teams played, you know. But the Blues have more players in double digit scoring than the Vegas Golden Knights do. And again, that's one of the enigmas of this Blues team right now. Where you're seeing, you're seeing good numbers from some guys. You're just not seeing the results in the win column. We hope they turn that around tonight. Six o'clock pregame, seven o'clock faceoff. You'll hear it here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, always good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Ha- have an awesome week, you too, and a happy Thanksgiving to y'all. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Next up. We've got our first fight of the week. That's coming your way with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
to the fight on character and small men in the red corner average joe listener and in the blue corner the undisputed king of morning drive please welcome randy character Let's fight on this Monday morning on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Randy's challenger this morning is Mike, who joins us now. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So Thanksgiving is right around the corner. If you're power ranking Thanksgiving sides, Mike, what do you have at the top? Oh, man. Um, stuffing. And then let's go with mashed potatoes. Maybe some mac and cheese. That's oh, what I'm thinking. Okay. I love that. That's exactly what we had in start one, bench one, cut one earlier. So I appreciate that. I'm right so thrilled too. Right on. All right, Mike. Well, are you ready to take on Randy this morning? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Question number one for Mike. Who holds the record for longest no-hit bid by a rookie in a Major League Baseball postseason game? Is it Madison Bumgarner, Michael Waka, or Max Scherzer? Let's go Michael Waka. All right, Mike. Question number two. The 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines featured an 18-hole playoff, followed by a sudden death with Tiger Woods defeating who to win the tournament? Was it Trevor Immelman, Branch Snedeker, or Rocco Mediate? Let's go with Snedeker. Question number three for Mike. In the 2003 NFC wildcard game between the Packers and the Seahawks, Matt Hasselbeck famously said at the coin toss heading into overtime, we'll take the ball and we're going to score. Which Packer intercepted Hasselbeck's OT pass for a pick six game winner? Was it Al Harris, Darren Sharper, or Nick Barnett? Let's go Darren Sharper. All right, question number four. Which which NHL team set a record for 25 consecutive playoff appearances in 2004? Was it the Detroit Red Wings, the New Jersey Devils, or the St. Louis Blues? That would be the St. Louis Blues. Okay, we are checking our score here for Mike. Yep, confirm. Randy is on his way in. So, Mike, do you host Thanksgiving, or are you just a guest? This year, we're a guest. Um, we're just doing the in-laws Thursday, and it's, you know, it's, it's actually pretty low-key this year. I'm excited about it. <laughs> I don't uh, have to do too much. That's awesome. I love a low-key holiday. Well, Randy's getting his exactly. headphones on. Randy, say good morning to Mike. Mike, good morning. How you doing? Randy, what's going on, bud? Everything's good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Absolutely. Thanks. All right, Randy, are you ready? Ready. Question number one for Randy. Who holds the record for longest no-hit bid by a rookie in a Major League Baseball postseason game? Uh, longest no-hit bid by a rookie. Hmm. I'll do the lifeline here. Is it Madison Bumgarner? Is it Michael Walker? Or is it Max Scherzer? Okay, Max, I don't think with the Diamondbacks played in the playoffs as a rookie. That gives me a coin flip. And I don't think Waka, well, it, we weren't talking no hitter if he had one going through like four or five innings. So I'll go Mad Bum. All right, Randy. 
Question number two. The mm-hmm. 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines featured an 18-hole playoff followed by a sudden death with Tiger Woods defeating who to win the tournament? Rocco Mediate. Tiger did it on a broken leg and a torn up knee. It was unbelievable. And we actually were watching it on TV. Bernie and I were doing a show together, an afternoon drive show, basically just doing play-by-play, and people ate it up. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no big deal. Just <laughs> torn up knee, broken leg, no big yeah. deal. Okay, Randy, question number three. In the 2003 NFC wildcard game between the Packers and the Seahawks, Matt Hasselbeck famously said at the coin toss heading into overtime, we'll take the ball and we're going to score. <laughs> Which Packer intercepted Hasselbeck's OT pass for a pick six game winner? Former Ram, and now he's on the coaching staff, I believe, of the Chiefs, Al Harris. Al Harris, good guy, fun guy. All right, Randy, last question. Which NHL team set a record for 25 consecutive playoff appearances in 2004? The record for the longest playoff streak by an NHL team in the playoffs is held by the Boston Bruins. Now, did they eclipse? The, I thought the Blues had 25. Uh, maybe not. But I'll, uh, Boston does hold the record, so I'll go with Boston. Ooh, wow. Okay. We have a we have a tie here, gentlemen. We have a tie. Mike and uh, Randy both got two correct. So we're headed to the tiebreaker round. Mike, here is how this is going to work. I'm going to read the tiebreaker question. Randy's going to write down his answer on a pad of paper. You're going to get first crack at this. We're going to give you about 10 seconds to reveal your answer. Randy will share with us what he's written down. First to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Mike, are you ready? Yep, let's do it. Randy, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Here is your tiebreaker question, gentlemen. Kobe Bryant started off his career wearing number eight until switching to 24 before the 2006-2007 season. How many regular season games did Kobe play wearing the number eight? Okay, so let's see. Hmm. I'll read it one more time. Kobe Bryant started off his career wearing number eight until switching to 24 before the 2006-2007 season. How many regular season games did Kobe play wearing the number eight? Oh, man. This is a tough one. Man. Okay. All right. All right, Mike, whenever you're ready. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go with, I'm just going to say 700. And I was going with 600. Mike says 700. Randy says 600. We have a winner. Andrew, let him know who it is. of the fight. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions. Providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. Mike was closest to the pin on the tiebreaker, so he takes home the victory today. Congratulations, Mike. Appreciate it. Wow. Total guest. We'll take it. <laughs> All right. Let's run through our answers. So Michael Walker actually holds the record for the longest no hit bid by a rookie in a major league baseball postseason game in 2008 at the U S open at Torrey Pines. It was an 18 hole playoff between Tiger Woods and Rocco Mediate. That sudden death allowed Tiger Woods to win the tournament 
It was Al Harris who intercepted Matt Hasselbeck's OT pass for a pick six game winner in the 2003 NFC wildcard game. And the NHL team that set the record for 25 consecutive playoff appearances in 2004 is your St. Louis Blues, which brought us to the tiebreaker round. And again, the question was, Kobe Bryant started off his career wearing number eight until switching to 24 before the 2006-2007 season. How many regular season games did Kobe play wearing the number eight? Randy guessed 600. Mike guessed 700. The correct answer is 707. So, Mike, very wow. close to the correct answer. And, Mike, since you won today, that means you're going to join us again tomorrow, and you're one step closer to the Hall of Fame. So we'll talk to you then. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> A little Gloria action here from Andrew. I love it. Love it, yeah. Love Gloria. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Mike, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Mike with us on 101 ESPN. Next up, Dan Deardorff has his final broadcast. Or actually, you know what? We're going to get to Mike Kelly. Mike Kelly is going to join us coming up. The voice of the Tigers, they won an overtime on Saturday. And uh, Mike will join us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> The Missouri Tigers are bowl eligible for the second year in a row under head coach Eli Drinkwitz. A dramatic overtime victory over Florida on Saturday. Mike Kelly had the call on the Tiger Network along with Howard Richards and the voice of the Tigers. Mike Kelly joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm well. How are you all? Everything's great. Michelle is in Arkansas. She ran a half marathon yesterday, Mike. She ran more miles yesterday than I've run in my life combined. <laughs> Ooh, is uh, so are the legs burning a little bit this morning? We're a little tender, Mike. Yes, the day after yeah, is always I, a little rough. <laughs> I would bet. I would bet. Well, congratulations to you. So, Mike, I, I texted you during the game, and I said, uh, I don't know if if I'm comfortable with Connor Bazelak. I don't know if he's the best choice. Clearly, he was the best choice. Eli knows what he's doing, and I don't. Well, yeah, you know, and, and, and you can prepare. Well, I, I mean, that goes without saying, however, but uh, – you know, that, that Eli knows more than you do um, and me and, and others. Um, you know, the uh, it was funny because I just had a flashback thinking about a previous episode of, of Ted Lasso, but I'll, 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 I'll try to stay focused here. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, here, here's the deal. You, you got to play the guy that gives you the best chance to win. And, uh, you know, Connor's not only people have to remember, Connor's not only dealing with the soft tissue issue, uh, he's also dealing with a reworked offensive line. And, uh, you know, Luke Griffin slid over and made his first start at right guard in that game. Connor Wood, the transfer from Montana State, who had been starting at right guard, slid out to right tackle. And then Xavier Delgado, who hadn't started in the last uh, a few games, uh, moved in at left guard with, with Hiron White being out at right tackle. And so um combination of that and, and you know the other thing too i mean florida's got a really good defensive front i mean they're 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 athletic and they're long and um but but connor gives you the best chance and 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 he you know what he he showed randy and you want to see it from quarterbacks and you've seen it in his career and he just again showed it again on saturday night he showed toughness and he showed poise um you know and and, and you know he did not turn the ball over um uh, and that was a that was a obviously another step in the right direction in the development of his career. 
Mike, you have to love Coach Drink taking the risk, going for it with the two-point conversion in overtime. And it seems like in that moment, or even leading up to the Georgia game, the comments that he had about facing the number one overall team, even though the outcome wasn't what he wanted, this is a guy that seemingly is not afraid of any challenge or any big pressure moment. Well, you know, that's right. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of the reason why why he – I, I guess was among a pool of candidates a couple of years ago was the one that stood out is because he's not afraid to think bold. Um, the same with Desiree Reed Francois, uh, you know, why not think bold? Why not think Missouri can be a player on a national stage? Uh, does it take time? Yes. Does it take commitment? Yes. Does it take a lot of hard work? Absolutely. Uh, but, but he is not, he's not afraid of, 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 you know, what it's going to take, to continue to build this program. And so it's so important to be a bowl eligible for a second consecutive year. Um, you know, last year, uh, you know, the time between the bowl game uh, and the end of the regular season was somewhat disjointed because of COVID and because of the number of people in the program that eventually, uh, you know, that were, that were, you know, under pro- pro- COVID protocols and an impact of practice and eventually forced the cancellation of the game uh, against Iowa. Um, and so this year, it's just it's so important to, you know, be able to, A, you can maybe get some guys back who have been banged up. Uh, B, just with the younger players, you get a chance to get a whole nother month of practice under your belt. And so that's just, it's, it's, it's really, really big as you're trying to build something. Mike Kelly, the voice of the Missouri Tigers with us on 101 ESPN. Mike, college coaches obviously don't have a ton of time with their players, and it's hard to change things when you get off to a bad start. But Steve Wilkes and this defensive staff have been able to do that. What's been the biggest change from your perspective for this defense that has made it so effective lately? Well, they're playing their positions and and playing playing as a unit. Um, you know, to me, the thing that describes defense better than anything is that it's it's uh, it's assignment football. It's do your job. It's not try to you know get out of your gap to make a play when your job is to fill the gap. Uh, and I think honestly, you had you had individuals that were trying to make individual plays early in the season, combined with missed tackles, bad angles, uh, overrunning the football, etc. Um, and, and so I think that you know a couple things have happened. I think Al Davis has stepped in. I think he's done a really good job um, teaching fundamentals and continuing to work with with uh, the defensive line. Uh, and I think that as a as an overall group. They've continued to uh, learn on the job uh, the system that's, that Steve Wilkes has implemented. And, uh, you know, I, again, I, I wasn't surprised early on that Missouri struggled defensively. Numbers don't lie, right? And if you look back to the last three games a year ago, uh, two of the last three games you gave up 600 yards of total offense and, and more than and 48 points to Arkansas, 51 points to Georgia, or excuse me, 49 points to Georgia. Then the last game, 500 yards of total offense and 51 points in Mississippi State. And then you took five starters off of that defense, which the numbers would tell you was not very good a year ago. Uh, five starters off of that defense, three of which to the NFL, two or two players who went into the portal, portal that are now starting for Arkansas. And you remove five starters, you're going to have a defense that's going to struggle early on. Uh, and so, but I think Isaiah McGuire's gotten better. I think he's continued to improve. Uh, Makai Wingo, the young man from DeSmet, has, uh, has has come on and and you know really had a very good 
freshman season. And, and a guy like Darius Robinson, who just doesn't didn't have a lot of experience as a high school player or as a college player, is getting more and more comfortable in the role of playing defensive tackle. And so um, I think it's a variety of different things. And the other thing that was neat about Saturday is that, you know, Caleb Evans wasn't available and didn't start, but uh, you started a true freshman in DJ Jackson, a corner, and he played a very, very good game. Mike, I know he's a Doak Walker Award semifinalist, but is Tyler Beatty one of the most underrated players in the country right now? It seems like he should be getting a lot more love nationally. Yeah, I think the five losses have a lot to do with it. Um, you know, I think the, the if, if, if Missouri was, you know, uh, eight and three at this point in time, as opposed to six and five, I think he'd be getting a lot more love nationally. Um, you know, so, so I agree with you, but, you know, it's – if, if you just look at some of the some of his numbers and you know just uh, you know 1,385 yards rushing leads the SEC and is fourth in the nation. 156.8 all-purpose yards leads the SEC and is fourth in the nation. 17 touchdowns leads the SEC. 13 rushing touchdowns is second in the SEC behind Brian Robinson in Alabama, and he's you know got 2,500 career yards. And so he's plus he leads Missouri with 53 receptions on the season. So yeah, I. <laughs> he's having a whale of a season, and, and I agree that he's he's not getting as much love nationally as I think maybe he deserves. Finally, Mike, from me, we didn't get a chance to see Alabama this year, so you didn't get a chance to call any games with their defensive back, Cool Aid McKinstry, which I think is the best name in college football this year. But Bumper Pool from Arkansas, that's a pretty good name to, to call on Friday afternoon. Well, yeah, yeah. Not only, and, and you're going to call it a lot because yep. he comes in with 107 tackles this season. So that is a great name. And, uh, you know, hey, Arkansas is legit, folks. I mean, make no mistake about it. Jefferson, their big quarterback, threw for 326 against Alabama. Traylon Burks is, is got 59 receptions on the season and had over 100, almost 200 yards receiving last week. Uh, if they have an issue, it's on the defensive side of the football where they gave up you know, 559 yards uh, passing to Bryce Young. And so uh, the other thing that's interesting about their defensive front is that three of their four starters on defense are all guys that they got out of the transfer portal, Ridgeway from Illinois State, Utsi from Missouri, and Trey Williams from Missouri. Yeah, so they've built up and they've used the transfer portal well. Mike Kelly, always good to hear your voice. Keep up the great work. We'll be tuned in on Friday afternoon as Mizzou wraps up their season against Arkansas. Hey, uh, great to talk to you. Y'all have a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you, Mike. That is the voice of the Tigers, Mike Kelly, joining us on 101 ESPN. And he and Howard Richards have a great broadcast that you'll thoroughly enjoy if you tune in on Friday afternoon. Next up, today's big thing. If the Cardinals aren't going to spend big, what options make sense for them? That's coming your way with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. Nine oh three in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Dan Deardorff is going to join us in about twelve minutes. And Michelle, with the Cardinals' history, we kind of have an idea of what they're going to do during their offseason. Mo has made it clear that the Cardinals feel like Paul DeYoung can play better, that he just didn't have a good year last year. So I do believe 
that shortstop, a free agent shortstop, is out the window, even though Greg Amzinger tells us that the Cardinals are in that market. I don't see that happening. I do see the Cardinals stocking up on starting pitching and do and maybe a couple of relievers as well, and doing so within the bounds of what they have self-imposed as a salary cap. I would be surprised if the Cardinals, for every free agent they sign this offseason, would spend more than 25 or $30 million. So maybe get a couple of relievers, maybe a couple of starters that you may or may not be able to count on, and a reserve left-handed hitting outfielder. Yeah, it seems like when we look at the names available, the question, what is the best option for the Cardinals, doesn't coincide with what do we think that they're going to do? Because you'll look at names like Corey Seager or Max Scherzer, but based on the Cardinals' history, we know that that's likely not the path that they're going to go down. But Randy, even even though Paul the Paul DeYoung comments from John Mosaic lead us to believe that they might be set at shortstop, I'm still not so sure about that because I wonder about somebody like Trevor Story with so many free agents available out there. Is he willing to take a shorter deal or perhaps a a cheaper deal to reset the market, get out of Colorado and go somewhere where he thinks he can really shine and more importantly, where he might be able to win? I think that even though we look at a lot of the big ticket free agents that are out there, the Cardinals still might be able to find some creative options out there. The thing with Trevor's story is, If you were in his shoes, and I know that he is really good friends with Nolan Arenado, but he is also from Texas, and he could go to a team that also has a great chance to win from his home state. If if you were Trevor Story, would you rather have a one-year deal with the Cardinals or a one-year deal with the Houston Astros? Ooh, that's a tough question. You got the Crawford boxes. Mm -hmm. You're replacing Correa. You're in the middle of a great lineup. Mm-hmm. And they still want to win. They they feel like they showed that by signing Verlander the other day. And they do, the, their alternative at shortstop is Ledmus Diaz. And I think just on paper, based on what we saw last season, he might think that the Astros are in a better position right now to win than the Cardinals as well. So even though he is boys with Nolan Arenado, I have to think that Houston might be just a tad more appealing for someone like him. I, I would think so too. Now, if the Cardinals offer more, if the Cardinals go four and twenty-five, and Houston is going one and ten, then he might want to take that bird in the hand, the twenty-five million dollars. But I'm thinking that for the Cardinals heading into this season, maybe you bring a hap back, maybe you make sure that Danny Duffy, who wasn't healthy with the Dodgers, make sure that a guy like that is healthy. Make sure, uh, go look at a guy like. Uh, Zach Davies, who was a low walk, low strikeout pitcher for years with Milwaukee and the Padres, had a bad year with the Cubs, but that was his first bad year. He's a guy that you could get on a minor league deal and maybe resurrect him. I believe that there are pitchers out there that aren't big strikeout guys that the Cardinals could take a look at that might fit what they want to do financially better than the Strowmans and Scherzers of the world. Alex Wood had a really good last year. Uh, really good year last year for the Giants. Maybe that's a guy, a left-hander that you look at. I'm just thinking that the Cardinals are probably going to be a lot more frugal than we would hope they would be. What about somebody like Robbie Ray? Does he intrigue you, or do you think he makes sense for the Cardinals, or do you think after the season that he just had, obviously winning the Cy Young in the American League, even though it was one good season, do you think the asking price will be too high? I do think the asking price will be ridiculous because he did have the one good year, and teams will believe and I have to believe that he's going to get $28 million a year uh, for over five years. He's probably going to be in that 
that range, and I just don't think the Cardinals are prepared to go there because they're looking at after next year probably making a big offer to Jack Flaherty. Whether he takes it or not is a, a different thing, but after next season, they've got so many guys that are going to be arbitration eligible or that they're going to ha- want to sign to extensions. Flaherty, Hudson, Bader, O'Neill. Uh, they're going to want to get these guys under contract. And uh, as Bill DeWitt always tells us, he said, w- you should look at what's happening today. But I'm looking at what's happening three and four and five years down the road. And my guess is that the Cardinals are looking at what's happening three and four or five years down the road and saying, OK, I can't have... 28 million a year tied up in Robbie Ray if I plan to sign Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson after next year to big deals. And that is a smart business model to always be a step ahead and to be planning and and saving for the future. However, even though I do think the Cardinals should make an offer for Jack Flaherty, it's something that I've thought all along. I've kind of shifted my perspective just a little bit on that, Randy. When I look at this team and they have so many good pieces in place right now, I would be more inclined to go for it in 2022, knowing it's the last season of Adam Wainwright, it's the last season of Yadier Molina, that you you have Goldie and Arenado in their primes, that you have, you're pretty confident in your outfield, you obviously feel great about the defense. I would be more inclined to take that money that's coming off the books and go for it in 2022, go out there, get an established starting pitcher, and really take my chance this season, knowing it's the last ride for Yachty and Bueno, than to be that concerned about the future. And one of the reasons that I would go after Scherzer is yes, you do blow out the budget for 2022, but you have Yadi and Wayno coming off the books after 2022. So in 2023, you're going to have 26 million and you can finesse your payroll. Hopefully you'll have a labor agreement and you could finesse your payroll after that year with those two coming off the books to be able to fit a guy like Scherzer in under it. If you can give him a three-year deal. My ha- my belief would be that the Cardinals would much prefer to go shorter term with a guy like Scherzer than longer term with a guy like Ray or Stroman. And even though Jack Flaherty is unbelievably talented and we've seen when he's healthy, what a difference maker he can be. And he could be an incredible anchor for your rotation for years to come. There's no guarantee that he's going to stay here. And he has been injured a lot. And Max Scherzer is about as sure of a thing as you're going to find out there right now. And I don't know. It's an interesting question to think, would you rather take somebody like Scherzer now knowing that it would cost you Flaherty in the future? I'm kind of inclined to say, yeah, at least from just a pure observational standpoint, as somebody that would be watching the games night in and night out next season, I think I'd rather go for it with somebody like Scherzer. As somebody who grew up watching Steve Carlton pitch for the Phillies and torment me, I would prefer that the Cardinals keep Jack Flaherty. (laughs) But that's just me. <laughs> it could come back to haunt you. But if you win the World Series next season, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Then everything that? is worth it. If you win one World Series, everything's worth it. And that's a risk, certainly. Yeah. But I think that's what fans want. They want to feel like the Cardinals are really going for it. No doubt. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Dan Deardorff will have his last regular season broadcast as the analyst at the University of Michigan this weekend. We're going to talk to him about retiring from the broadcasting biz next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN. Our town's Dan Deerdorf had a Hall of Fame pro football career with the Cardinals that ended in 1983. And then he followed it up with a Hall of Fame broadcasting career. And Dan, after Saturday's Michigan-Ohio State game, he's been the analyst for Michigan football for the better part of the last decade. Dan is going to retire from his broadcasting career too. And we wanted to get on and get Dan on and celebrate uh, this career. And uh, it's always fun to talk to you, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Sue? Doing well. Uh, what's it like right now heading into Thanksgiving week? And it's always Michigan and Ohio State. But knowing this is going to be your last regular season broadcast. Well, it's, uh, uh, it's exciting because the game uh, it really means something this year. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes you go into the game and uh, all it really means is that Ohio State is getting a tune-up before they uh, uh, go chase the national championship. It's it's kind of uh, uh, it, it's we've done it before, obviously, lots of times, but uh, the world seems to be a better place uh, in the Big Ten when Michigan and Ohio State are playing for all the marbles, and that's what's going to happen Saturday in Ann Arbor. That's the truth, Dan. It is better when both teams are good. And I, I'm sure now that the finish line is near, you've taken some time to reflect back on your time at the in the booth at Michigan. Do you have a favorite game or a favorite memory? Well, you know, the, it's really, uh, they're all kind of run together in the sense that, you know, for 43 consecutive years, I was in an NFL stadium every Sunday. Uh, 13 as a player, uh, 13 as a broadcaster. I never did a studio show. I never took a year off. Every year for 43 years, every weekend uh, for me was the NFL. And to tell you the truth, until I went back to Ann Arbor and started calling uh, the Michigan games, I had forgotten how much fun it is and how – it's a uniquely different experience to be on a college campus on a Saturday afternoon. I, I've just thoroughly enjoyed being around the kids, being involved uh, back in the, the college atmosphere. It is, uh, it, I'm telling you, the tailgating just seems to be different. The bands, everything, it, uh, it's a totally different experience, and I've loved it. Dan, the other great thing about it is that you're doing radio and you don't have to wear a tie. <laughs> you got that right. I'm wearing a baseball cap and a and a golf shirt or a sweatshirt. Uh, I was like Pavlov's dog. I wasn't sure that I could talk without wearing a tie. I've never understood why they make the announcers wear ties. And uh, uh, but the only people in the entire stadium wearing ties. That's right. To be a little ridiculous to me, but uh, you're right. And and the beautiful the beautiful part about radio. And it's, as you know, Randy, it's where I cut my teeth at Camo X, and it's where I really learned how to be a broadcaster. Um, in television, you're always uh, tasting the pictures. You don't have a choice but to talk about what the viewer is seeing at home. So you're, uh, you've just got to talk about what the, what the viewer at home is looking at, or else they're sitting there going, well, what game is this guy attending? Where is he? <laughs> the beauty of radio is you're free to talk about whatever you want to talk about. You, 
there's so much more uh, of a uh, casual atmosphere about a radio uh, broadcast that uh, it, it's really been enjoyable these last eight years. And, Dan, when you started doing games in 1984, there were a lot of broadcasters, play-by-play and analysts, who would treat the game kind of like they were they were calling a real battle in a real war. And you lightened it up. You've had a lot of fun throughout the course of your career. And when I listen to a lot of radio broadcasts now, I believe that, that you and John Madden had such an influence on making football a lot more fun for the viewer and the listener. Uh, you know, I always tried to... Uh... I always tried to pretend that I was talking to the guy sitting on the bar stool next to me. Uh, and, and the two of us had our elbows on the bar looking up at the TV and just carrying on a conversation. I, I don't think people like being lectured to. I, I, I think sometimes analysis today has gotten uh, a, a little too technical uh, in that Sometimes I think announcers are talking to each other or, or to the scouts or to the coaches, and the average viewer doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. And uh, I never tried to do that. I, I, you're right, Randy. Thank you for noticing. But, I, you know, John was of the same school, and, and let's face it, uh, uh, I, you know, I tried to pattern of what I did a little, a little more after the way John treated it because – who wouldn't? Look how successful he was. Yeah, it worked. Dan, I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago when you were talking about all of the Sundays that you spent in the NHL, or excuse me, NFL, whether it was playing or whether it was in the booth, and then your Saturdays were occupied with Michigan. You've been in football in some way, shape, or form for many decades now. What's next fall going to be like for you when you don't have a game to call or you don't have any obligations? Uh, I know it's going to be really weird, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'm very much looking. I'm actually going to take a, I'm going to take a fall trip. Uh, uh, you know, we're going to uh, we're going to go to the East Coast and uh, do a little fall foliage tour. And uh, uh, God willing, uh, uh, it's going to be different. I'll go to a couple games, but uh, it's going to be nice having uh, having a little more freedom. I I'm ready. It's uh, you know, enough is enough. I've been uh, I, I look. I've spent my entire life without having a real job, so <laughs> I, I I know good fortune when I see it. Dan Deardorff with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Dan, Michelle mentioned NHL, and I want you to describe because there's a lot of people driving around that weren't around, and Michelle's one of those in 1984 when your career mercifully they weren't around. <laughs> no, because. I remember it because I, I was either listening to it or I was running the board or I was producing. I was doing something. But it was it 40 games? You did the football Cardinals. You did Mizzou. You did a ton of CBS plus the Blues, right? Well, Bob Hyland uh, wanted me on the air and uh, in any way possible. So he called me into his office one day and uh, I, I sat before the burning bush carrying on a conversation with with Mr. Highland, and he said, I, I want you to do hockey. And, uh, uh, I, of course, you know, Dan Kelly did hockey. And I, I'm going, you want me to sit in the booth with Dan Kelly? He goes, yeah, you, you're not going to travel because I don't want you doing that. But you're going to do every home game with Dan Kelly. Uh, and, and so let's, when you're Dan Kelly's partner, uh, your job 
was to talk about this coming Saturday is calendar <laughs> night, and next Tuesday is puck night, and next Thursday is bobblehead night. And I I, I remember uh, a couple times uh, my promo would run over uh, into the faceoff, and uh, they'd have the faceoff, and, and I would go, and the Blues win the faceoff, and here's the voice of the Blues, Dan Kelly. I, I did that three or four times. We went to a commercial break, and, and Dan tells me to take off my headset. I take off my headset. He leans over and goes, hey, big boy, you have no idea who's winning the faceoff. Just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. I, he was right. And uh, <laughs> oh, I, I tell you what, uh, I put on 20 pounds. Uh, that hockey season with Dan Kelly because his goal uh, after every game was to go out and eat a big steak as close to midnight as humanly possible. And we would frequent all these restaurants around town and, oh my God, what a great year that was. (laughs) Oh, Dan, that sounds like so much fun. We need to go back and find that audio. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, yeah, we do. You're going to hear Dan Kelly a lot, and then yeah, I, uh, you will, you would have heard in an entire hockey season, not one meaningful word came out of my mouth. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, Dan, I want to ask you about the state of the Michigan program. When you look at what Jim Harbaugh has been able to do, you see a lot of 10 win seasons. And I think a lot of programs would look at what he's been able to compile there and consider it as, as it a success, but he hasn't been able to beat his rivals. He hasn't won a national title. And so it always seems like the picture that's painted is that the Jim Harbaugh era is kind of a failure. But do you think that the expectations that have been placed on him are, fa- are fair? Or do you think that Michigan as a legacy program should have someone that can get them to a national championship or someone that can beat Ohio State consistently? Well, you know, I, I think college football is in a, uh, a strange place. It, it, if you're going to be a legitimate um, um, contender to win a national championship, uh, you have to, uh, you, I, you know, we could talk about this for a long time, but I don't know that Michigan, Michigan has a very strict academic standards and uh, where a lot of teams get a lot of transfers, uh, we don't because uh, our admissions department uh, uh, is a little more stringent in terms of, of, of screening people and all this and all that. If you look at Jim Harbaugh's record, um, uh, this is his seventh year. He, uh, this will be his fourth 10-win uh, season. Uh, you know, I, I know in Columbia and a lot of places, those are the kind of records you can only dream about. Do we have a problem with Ohio State? Uh, yes. Um, is it our fault? Um, I think sometimes you got to give the devil his due. Uh, everybody is having an Ohio State problem. Uh, they are uh, on a historic run, and they have it going, uh, and they're recruiting at a, a truly elite level. And uh, so I don't – yes, uh, would we love to beat Ohio State? Yes. Um, do we want to be Ohio State? Not necessarily. 
And Dan, I get the sense that there's a lot of schools, Michelle has a great term, read the room. There's a lot of schools that think that they can be Alabama or they think they can be Clemson or they think they can be Ohio State. There's only a select few schools that are even capable of that, aren't there? Well, absolutely, because it's, you know, it's the old, it's not so much about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy and Joe's. And just all you have to do is just look at the rosters uh, that Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia have assembled, and and they're nothing but four- and five-star uh, kids that, uh, you know, they they get the, uh, they get first dibs at the, uh, the best high school players in America. And, and once you get that rolling like that, um, uh, it is a, uh, you know, it is a, it's tough to, uh, it's tough to derail. And uh, I give them credit. And, uh, but there's, I, I just don't, Look, we're we're going to be a huge underdog on Saturday, uh, even though uh, um, you know we're have the same record that Ohio State does. We're both ten and one. We'll be huge underdogs. That's that's fine with me. Uh, that's why you play the game. We got our guys are on scholarship too. We're going to show up. Dan, a couple of more things. Number one, uh, we have the great good fortune of when you went to CBS, having you do games of the greatest show on turf. When CBS would come into town to do those games, it was you and Greg Gumbel. And I tell people that even though we lost the Rams, what we did have was probably as good a four or five year slice of football as any fan base has ever had. And certainly they ever will have. Do you agree with me that if we would get another team, it could never be as good as the greatest show on turf? Well, I mean, you hate to say that it's not possible, but yes, that was an extraordinary uh, three or four seasons that the Rams put together. The entertainment value was was off the charts, uh, and and you know, look at the the caliber of the player they had. It was it was lightning in a bottle. And you're right, not you know, Kansas City is is having that right now with what they've got going on offensively over there, and uh, I, but the good news is, Randy, I, I don't think anybody in St. Louis took it for granted. We knew what we were watching when it was going on. Uh, we we kind of scratched our heads and went, <laughs> "Where the? How did it happen?" But by God, we we knew it when we saw it. That was great football. And I, I don't want to be completely negative here, but I just don't think that the product that the NFL puts out on the field can be that good. A lot of the hits that the Rams dished out and took in those days, part of what made the NFL what it was, they've been legislated out of the sport. I just think it's a different game now. Well, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the rules have been uh, uh, with player safety in mind. Uh, and, And I do, I do applaud their effort in that regard. You do not see, you don't see wide receivers getting skewered uh, with, with you know, the hits that were commonplace uh, when I played, uh, with, you know, lowering the head, hitting with the crown of the helmet. Th- those are good that they've been legislated out of the game. Um, it, it's uh, the guys, the, the, the athletes that play now uh, uh, are, are pretty extraordinary. What I don't understand is they've changed the rules to the point where it's sumo wrestling at the line of scrimmage, and it's all geared towards uh, the offense. 
why anyone would want to play defensive back in the NFL right now is beyond me. It is what a miserable job. No doubt. Hey, Dan, before we let you go, you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a player and as a broadcaster, Michigan Hall of Fame, Ohio Hall of Fame. Uh, You've had a a stellar broadcasting career. Obviously, your football career was completely different. But from your broadcasting career, what are you most proud of? If somebody would have told you, Dan, you had this career from 1984 until 2021, you really want to accomplish something. What are you most proud of that you did accomplish as a broadcaster? Oh, I, it, it would have to, I'd be lying if I didn't say uh, being uh, a part of the Monday night football uh, telecast for 12 years. Uh, that was a, that is a long run as an analyst uh, on any uh, level, but I, and I just want to say this, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I did Monday night football when it was Monday night football. And, uh, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. It, uh, it, we were, we were what the NFL is trying to make Sunday night football into. Now we, we had the best game every week, every week we had the highest rated game. Uh, we were, uh, we were still must see TV, uh, when I was doing Monday night football and I'm, I'm immensely proud of that. Well, it's a a well-deserved Hall of Fame career. And as you know, because I I text you during your games, I try to make it into my car when Michigan is playing so that uh, I I can hear Dan Deardorff's analysis because you're the best I ever heard. And I've really enjoyed your broadcasting career. And I've enjoyed your mentorship and having my back as a broadcaster as well. I'm I'm proud of the fact that uh, you're a friend. Thank you, Randy. You and I go way back. <laughs> yeah, we do. Here's, here's Chuck from Edwardsville. <laughs> See, we have uh, you and I have been friends for decades, and Randy, I'm proud of you and what you've accomplished. Uh, you didn't. Uh, I mean, you started the old-fashioned way on the other side of the glass, and uh, how far you've come, it's given me a great deal of a uh, great deal of pleasure. Great, thank you. Say hi and to by Denton. The way, the one thing I feel confident now in my advancing years, I finally figured out who's winning the faceoff. <laughs> yeah, if the puck goes backward, it's the guy that shot it backward. He won it. <laughs> Honest to God, in the beginning, I thought the, the object was to get it to go forward. It was, it was a, it was a very deflating moment in my life when Dan Kelly said that I had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> But he was right. Yeah, he was always right. Dan, you're the best. Tell Debbie we said hi and have a happy Thanksgiving. All right. Uh, Same to you. Thanks, Randy. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you later. That is the Hall of Famer, Dan Deardorff, on 101 ESPN. Started his broadcasting career, actually, Michelle, as a player. He and Jim Hart had a show uh, on Monday nights after football Cardinal games. So in the 70s, he was broadcasting and preparing himself for what became a Hall of Fame broadcasting career. I don't know if anyone has the resume that Dan Deardorff has to be able to excel at a high level at every single thing that he's been able to do. It's really special. Yeah, he's fantastic. He is a special guy. And you'll remember during the summer when he turned 72, we texted him happy birthday and he said, I used to be fond of the number 72. (laughs) (laughs) He's the best. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They make a BMW attainable for anyone who wants one. All right, let's go to it with... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, Tiger Woods is back nearly nine months after he was in that awful car crash in California that left him with, quote, significant orthopedic injuries to his right lower extremity. He is back. He's back out on the golf course. He's back on social media. He shared a three-second clip of himself on socials on Twitter and Instagram, practicing his his swing. The caption said, quote, making progress. And there had been reports that Tiger Woods Tiger Woods had been making a remarkable recovery following this accident, but it's amazing to see him feeling comfortable enough with his swing and his progress, not only to be golfing again, but to be posting it on social media. I don't know if he can get back to where he needs to be to play in the Masters in four and a half months, but this is great to see. And at some point, Michelle, I would expect that we'll see him on a PGA Tour or a major course at some point. He does have the exemptions. He can go out and play. So my guess is that he would probably find his way back onto a course in competitive play and the ratings would be off the charts. Off the charts. And I mean, this was someone that we were having conversations about. Will he walk again? And now nearly nine months later, he's already back out on the golf course. You knew that he was going to attack this recovery the way he attacks everything with tenacity and dedication. But Randy, I have to be with you on this one. I think if he's posting videos on social media of him out on the golf course, he is going to make a comeback, or at least that's what he's gearing towards. Right. I know that he wants to play with his kids, play golf with them, but he's just too competitive to stay away from this, isn't he? He's the kind of guy that, especially because there's been other golf, well, another golfer that played at a high level after a, a traffic accident. I'm sure that he wants to do the same thing that Bobby Jones did. And I can't wait to see it. Me either. You're killing me, Smalls. So last week, Carlos Correa made some headlines when he said that he, he made some comments about Derek Jeter during an appearance on the Me Gustan Los Deportes podcast. I need to brush up on my Spanish, so that was terrible. But he said, uh, Derek Jeter, how many gold gloves did he win? Five, I think he won. Derek Jeter didn't deserve anything. Again, that's Carlos Correa. Now, a reminder, Jeter won five gold gloves during his career in 04, 05, 06, 09, and 2010. Well, friend of the station, Craig Mish, asked Derek Jeter about those comments from Carlos Correa, and here's what he said. I didn't think much about it. I don't know how my name came up, so uh, my Spanish is not that good. I still haven't seen it. I don't know how my name was brought up, but it doesn't even warrant a response. I mean, I can go in a lot of different directions, but I won't. (laughs) That was the attempt. So Derek Jeter, Randy, unconcerned with Carlos Correa's comments. Now, this isn't the first time that people have questioned Derek Jeter winning those gold gloves as they look at advanced defensive metrics. But what do you think? Do you think there's any truth to what Carlos Correa said about Derek Jeter not deserving any gold gloves? No, he was a winning ball player and he was a gold glove quality guy. Was he Ozzie Smith? Was he Omar Vizquel? No, he wasn't one of the best defensive shortstops of all time, but there were years where he was the best defensive guy and deserved his gold gloves. And this is a perfect example of the play in Oakland in the playoffs. There are 
some things that metrics just can't and don't measure. And that's why the people that saw him, the managers and coaches that voted for him, did so because they watched him beating them all the time by being at the right place at the right time. Do you think there's any merit to the fact that Derek Jeter was this massive superstar on the most iconic team in the biggest market in America and that he got maybe a little bit more shine or more credit than he deserved? Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. When you're the captain of the Yankees, you're going to get an outsized amount of coverage and an outsized amount of coverage uh, of credit. But that being said, he was there and we can't take that away from him the question's always been asked well what if he would have wound up being a first round draft choice of the Astros who should have taken him he would have had a different career but he was a Yankee and part of what made him a great Yankee was being able to deal with everything that surrounds being a Yankee whether it's the media coverage or whether it's the the people trying to get to you or just the city itself the pressure of the city itself he handled that as well as anybody has in the last 50 years and being a consistent force or an anchor on championship teams right the again dealing with pressure and taking a leadership role and kind of like reggie jackson stepping up at the biggest times again something that isn't covered by analytics but he was a big game player so i give him all the credit in the world he's absolutely a hall of famer in my book and a gold glover too and if you're going to go after anyone, I don't know if Derek Jeter's the guy. <laughs> no, and you're you're from Miami? He might want to sign you after you finish your seven-year deal here. Or the Yankees might want to. Yeah, right. Exactly. You're killing me, Small. Well, speaking of baseball, Cleveland's baseball team has officially changed their name to the Guardians. New team merchandise went on sale at Progressive Field in the team store on Friday. Other retailers are going to start selling gear tomorrow. And on Friday, Randy, the team also transitioned all of their social media platforms and all of their digital properties to the Guardians. So it's official. And their official sign on the store fell and broke right off the bat right when they were getting started but apparently they're selling like hotcakes people in cleveland like the name the guardians and they like the move away from the indians so good for them is they apparently have found the right name and struck a chord with clevelanders about having the right thing that people want to be associated with There we go. Okay. And finally, Randy, Jason Lacanfor at CBS had an interesting report coming out of Jacksonville. Apparently, there is a major debate happening within the Jaguars organization about the development of Trevor Lawrence. The number one overall pick isn't having an ideal first season. And according to Lacanfor, there has been a back and forth on the staff about how much to rely on the system that Trevor Lawrence ran at Clemson. Apparently, Urban Meyer has considered going with more of a run pass option offense like Trevor used at Clemson thinking it might help him since he's had issues diagnosing defenses but there's another faction of the organization that has raised concern about potential injury risks that could come with that and Jason Lacanfora is also reporting that there's been some tension and turmoil within the staff since this past offseason and that Urban Meyer apparently uh, makes his displeasure with certain position coaches known often in front of players. I was thinking because he was asked by the Jacksonville beat writer yesterday if he was essentially, to paraphrase, are you on board with the way that Daryl Bevel is coordinating the offense? And he kept talking about, oh, hey, Bev's a really good guy. 
and then he did get to, to, to Bev's a good coach. It sounded like it was the template for firing the offensive coordinator. Two things I wonder is, number one, why are they concerned about the guy getting hurt? Because he's 6'6 and 240, and the Cardinals don't seem too concerned about Kyler Murray getting hurt, even though he has. But you try to win. And second of all, his first choice apparently as the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars was current Mizzou uh, coaching consultant Scott Linehan. I wonder if Linehan, who was a big part of forming the Jaguars or the Urban Meyer offense, I wonder if he might find himself there and be more on board with what Urban Meyer wants to do. Yeah, clearly there's going to be an overhaul of the coaching staff and they're going to get more people in line with whatever Urban wants to do. But this is a critical impasse for them because Trevor Lawrence is the future. Their success is going to hinge on this one player and they better figure out what works for him and stick with it. Take it or leave it, Urban Meyer has an above 500 season as an NFL head coach. Ooh. I'm going to leave it because I think he's not in the NFL long enough for that to come to fruition. I agree with you. It just seems like he cannot handle losing. When you're winning 90% of your games in college, it's easier to get by. But man, he just appears to be. And when you read Jason Lockenfora's material, it appears as if he is just a miserable human being right now. Yeah, it doesn't seem like things are going well for him. And if his past actions have shown us anything, he will pull the plug. <laughs> right. And, hey, we know that uh, he's got friends in Ohio. He can just go back there and, you know, get a massage or give a massage. He's got a bar there that I know he loves to frequent. Yeah, so that'd be perfect. Good Thank times. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. Coming up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac, Dan McLaughlin and his show with BK coming up at the top of the hour. We're going to cross things over next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. early hump day this week because of Thanksgiving. She's in Arkansas where she ran a half marathon yesterday. Danny Mac in studio for the crossover. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing great. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Had a great weekend. Everything was great until about 8.30 this morning, 8, 8.35, when uh, I got asked a question on the fight, and I'm being a sore loser, Dan. I find that shocking. Yeah. <laughs> really do. You being, what uh, what happened, Marsh? Uh, oh, man. So we had a question. It was, who holds the record for the most consecutive playoff appearances in the NHL? Well, my uh, alleged trusted trivia site just completely did me wrong. And it ultimately did Randy wrong in the end. So he guessed the Boston Bruins. Mm -hmm. Didn't guess. He knew the Boston Bruins. It is the Bruins. Yeah, and uh, my my sheet said the Blues, and I oh, I knew they were they had a twenty five game winning streak. I knew that from you know growing up and whatnot. So I'm like, yeah, but yeah, then man. they missed. They did miss. Yeah, and they missed a couple times. Right. So now it's what is it? Hashtag justice for Randy Michelle. It is in fact justice for Randy, and it's going to be interesting to see guys how Randy responds tomorrow. Well, what was the result in the uh, the fight that the uh, it, it I averaged, lost in overtime. So the listener mm -hmm. won. Yeah. So who did the listener guess? 
He gets the blues. Okay, so you gave him the point or so whatever. Won three, two. So he should have won, yeah. So you're you're upset about bitter. this. I'm bitter, Dan. I can understand. <laughs> so are you bringing the listener back tomorrow because he won? Yep. We're going to have to, He's yeah. He's calling this my hand pass it's game. It's the hand pass game. <laughs> it's the tuck rule, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I hope I don't wind up like the Raiders did after the tuck rule game, though. Well, that's what I'm thinking, Randy, is that uh, maybe average Joe listener is turning into Tom Brady. <laughs> that very well could, it could be. It could be happening. Yeah, he could become a dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. We could be talking about uh, he or she. I don't know who it was. His uh, name's Mike. Okay, Mike yeah. uh, going into the... Trivia Hall of Fame. You guys are all smiling. Why, is, why are you all smiling? Because you're, you're arrogant <laughs> when you win. And maybe this is a message from the man upstairs to say, stop playing that stupid stuff that you play after you win. It could be that. Could be. Could be just a slap right across the face, Randy. It's a Thanksgiving. It's a time of giving. So, you know what? Be oh, a little I, bit nicer. I, I, I'm trying to be nice. I'm I understand that, but it doesn't seem like you are. Yeah. And I'm okay with you, Marsh. You know what? Things happen where there could be questions that get uh, mistaken along the way. Yeah. I, I would advise you, though, to do your due diligence and check sources. I'm going to have to do that from now on. Yeah, especially with Randy. I, I, I'm learning. I'm learning. So it's, only, it's only my second week now, but, but I'm I need to tell you, this learning. might be your final week. <laughs> Well, good thing it's only no. three days Randy, long. Randy works behind the scenes on some of these things, I'm telling you. Uh, he's on a roll. He's doing good. I know he is. I'm kidding. So, anyway, I enjoyed your visit with Dan Deardorff. That was great. Hall of Famer Dan Deardorff, College Football Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Michigan Hall of Fame, Michigan, University of Michigan Hall of Fame. He's all kinds of all, man. And well-deserved, all of them. And, by the way, Pro Football Hall of Fame as a player and as a broadcaster. I haven't seen the line for this weekend, Ohio State, Michigan. It's eight. Ohio State At the big house, right? Yep. Um, did watch a little bit of the Ohio State game this weekend. Holy smoke. They're How did dynamic. they lose? Yeah. How have they lost a game? Well, they lost their opener to Oregon. I know, and, they just and then were, it, Oregon go. got blitzed by Utah. Yeah, and Stroud, their quarterback, was playing in his first game, and he just wasn't ready. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I saw Michigan play against Alabama. I think I told you guys this a couple years ago, right before the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Took my kids to a bowl game. Had a lot of fun. Um, and I thought when I was watching that game, um, I may or may not have put a nice wager on it. Maybe, you know, friendly <laughs> wager, obviously yeah. handshakes, you know, maybe some cheeseburgers, whatever. Let's just say that I was very, very, uh, happy with how Alabama competed. <laughs> they, they competed very hard in that game and Michigan had no shot, but it, it, it was to the point of what you asked about Randy. I think it was, well, one of you guys, but I think it was you, Randy, that said, you know, what teams really have a chance to compete at that level year in and year out? There's like three or four. And as he said, it's just the way I kind of read into what Dan was saying, you almost have to catch lightning in a bottle. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You, you, you've got to have somebody that finds the right fit. And as much as we see, see now with uh, Florida, I mean, Dan Mullen had it rolling and he's fired. Yeah, had it rolling literally less this than year. a year ago. This yeah. year he was, yeah. he was playing. They, they had him playing well. And it's just, are you going to give a coach a chance to do what he wants to do, get into the homes that he has to get into and establish the culture that needs to be done? Right. And hopefully... And the answer is probably no. I know that maybe it helps to have a non-championship history like Mizzou because you give a guy more leeway like Mizzou did with Pinkle, and I hope they will with... With Drinkwitz. I, I would think that they do it even if they're competing in the SEC with what he has coming in and the fact that he has gotten into homes and the fact that uh, 
he is has made this a buzz. I mean, he's yeah. he's created a buzz around the program, which they haven't had in a while. That they do his leash is a lot longer than others. Right. Put it that way. What do you have? You and BK have coming up? Just talking baseball. Sandy Alcantara. Apparently, there are reports that he's going to sign for around just over fifty-five million for a five-year deal. That's the uh, Carlos Martinez signed that five years ago. I mean, how good of a deal could That's that incredible. be for, for Miami? You know, I, I was reflecting. I actually went through the schedule prior to coming into into the studio and started thinking of the best-pitched games, the, the, the most well-pitched games against the Cardinals this year. I don't think I could find one better than Sandy Alcantara. The who, afternoon game? Yes, that he went the distance and lost. Yeah. And, and, and he, I was watching his year. He would have been in my probably top four of the Cy Young. Not top five, yeah. four. That's how good he is. So this could be a great deal for Miami, and you got to wonder – um, how this maybe shakes up the um, you know the the world of pitching out there for certain guys that uh, are looking to get a deal. Definitely, we'll be yeah. tuned in. Okay, thanks, Andrew Marsh. Great job, mostly. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Randy. <laughs> Not a problem at all, Michelle. This was great. We will see you here tomorrow. Yes, I'll see you then. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on one hundred and one ESPN. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.